Welcome back to the IoT Podcast. I'm your host, Tom White. Every week, we are joined by the biggest names in IoT to unravel the trends, misconceptions, and predictions for the Internet of Things. Before we get into today's episode, don't forget to subscribe on whichever platform you're watching or listening on and turn on that notification bell so you're never out of the loop. In today's episode, I'm joined by serial entrepreneur, investor, and author, Matt Oberdorfer, founder and CEO of Embassy of Things and the Industrial Integration Platform. We'll be breaking down today, guys, the common challenges and pitfalls of industrial IoT projects and what we need to do about it. We'll also be finishing the episode with touching on the potential of generative AI in the industrial sector. Trust me, this one's not to be missed. Before we get into the episode, shout out to one of our sponsors today, 5 e Tech. 5 e Tech are specialists in finding people who make technology a force for good in the world. They bridge the gap between talent and deep tech businesses around the globe. Click the link in the description to find out more. Before we get into the episode, shout out to one of our sponsors, IoT Tech Expo Europe, the leading event for digital twins, IoT and digital transformation. Hi, Matt. Welcome to the IoT podcast. Hey, Tom. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on. Uh, no stranger to podcasts, no stranger to IoT, uh, but a stranger to our podcast. So perhaps you uh, might be able to start by introducing yourself, Matt, who you are and what your background is and what brought you into this wonderful, crazy world of IoT. Uh, my name is Matt Oberdorfer. I'm the CEO of a company called Embassy of Things and uh, for sh EOT for short. Most people refer to it as EOT. Um, uh, EOT is a company that is basically doing industrial software, uh, specifically for IoT, industrial IoT, uh, to get data in and out of operational uh, technology environments for uh, oil and gas companies, energy companies, renewable energy companies, manufacturing companies, transportation companies, and so on, and then make that data available uh, to analytics and machine learning and AI systems in the cloud so that you can derive uh, analytical insights that will help to you know, basically improve the production uh, output volumes, cost savings, uh, net carbon footprint, and sustainability for the industrial equipment. So it's kind of an you know, end-to-end -end type of industrial software solution. Background-wise, um, as you probably can hear from my slight accent, even though I'm based in California, United States, I'm originally from Germany um, and uh, studied computer science uh, in Stuttgart uh, there. Uh, so, you know, deep, deep, uh, uh, dove deep into AI back then, uh, into neural networks, into everything that has to do with uh, uh, um, recurring networks and also um, kind of combining them into multiple layers and you know, all that kind of good stuff. Um, and then since then, I've been starting uh, companies. I think this is my seventh startup. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, that, that, that's it for a short intro. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um... Yeah, not a lot to take in, right? I think um, I think your business right now, EOT, is really at the forefront of taking IoT data and using it with AI, right? Um, AI, generative AI, takes a lot of hype away from IoT at the moment, which some might say is a good thing. Um, but I think 
understanding and using that data and then being able to load that up through prompt engineering and other mechanisms into AI is absolutely critical at the moment. Um, so really, really interesting and definitely going to get into that into in today's podcast. Uh, but your background is also fantastic, Matt. You know, uh, seventh startup. I mean, just to ask you that, you, you, you must love uh, creating something from scratch to be on your seventh one. Is that the reason why you do it? So a couple of things about this. I, I've been um, since, I mean, when I was in school, when I was studying computer science in at, at the university, you know, I always said to my to my classmates, I said, look, one time I'm going to go to Silicon Valley, raise millions of dollars and have a startup. And they were like, yeah, yeah, okay, sure. You're going to do that. Right? So for me, it was not just something that, you know, happened at some point. I always wanted to do it. I had my first startup back in Germany, you know, basically out of my parents' house who were getting really concerned about the fact that people were sending me checks uh, and, and, and money in the mail for some sort of thing that I programmed. And my, my mom was like, why, why, why are you getting all this money? <laughs> so for me, startup, the startup kind of, you know, life is two, has basically two things that are very important to me. One is you're much more in control of your own destiny. Um, so why work for anyone else if you can actually do your own thing? Uh, the risk, everybody typically says, well, you know, startups is risky because you can lose your job and, you know, startups go, don't go anywhere. But the same is true if you work for a big company. You can also get laid off, you know, even the biggest companies, even the biggest in the world, just in the last, you know, few weeks laid off thousands and thousands of people, good people, uh, and, and that's it, right? So there's always a risk to it. And then, and then secondly, what you just said is creating something new, right? If you want to really be able to, innovate fast, um, then a startup is the only way, in my opinion, because if you're in a bigger company, you're like in, in you're like a, you're like on a cruise ship or like a big, you know, transportation vessel in the ocean. It goes very slow. It has a very particular destination that the captain, which is the CEO of the big company, going to set with the shareholders in, you know, as a focus, and you are doing something on that ship, right? If you're a startup, you're like a little speedboat. You can zoom around. You're going to from one side to the other side, and you can figure out that it's called pivoting. When if you know the book Lean Startup from Reese, right? So you know failing fast. That's not what you do when you're actually in a big company. In a small company, you can do these things, um, and it's important uh, to set your sight on something that is a overlooked problem, right? So that the big companies they cannot fill this problem really fast. They don't have the the, the manpower, the knowledge, expertise, or whatever. Uh, and so if you're smart as a startup, you can actually go find these, you know, kind of overlooked problems and build something that they can actually use and ultimately then, um, you know, get acquired or sell the solution to them and so on and so forth. So for me, that's that's really, you know, what the startup is about. As soon as the company becomes bigger and goes into this concept of, you know, we are be becoming a big ship that has to kind of, steadily move and we cannot shake it anymore then um it's time for me to kind of move on <laughs> so yeah. i like to work with uh, with with a, um, a small amount of people that, that 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 can actually think fast move fast and and innovate it's um it's interesting to say that because we recently today in our business we were doing a personality types talk right um it's from the classic book by i think thomas erickson 
Um, and a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, are quite red and yellow as a personality type, right? And I can completely understand where you're coming from. You know, it's it's being able to affect change, make a difference, do something quickly and be agile enough to make it happen. And I think sometimes, you know, you get weighed down by agreeing and answering to stakeholders, actually, and really, what are you actually doing this for? How quickly can you turn? And then it becomes difficult. I think the phrase is being a first miler, isn't it? You know, getting things off the ground, making right. it happen and, and getting right. interest in that. And um, I think we're probably cut from a very similar cloth that actually, when it comes to that, um, it's also my mindset. So I, I agree a lot with you on that actually. Um, and it's nice that you've taken that entrepreneurial mindset from technology and really focused it in Embassy of Things. Um, and, and, and maybe to, to get onto that actually. So. The business primarily, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you're involved in industrial data, so very much the IIoT market. Yeah, is is right. that correct? That's correct. So, you know, in our business, and I think um, you know, uh, uh, the, the focus also for for my company, and it, this is not just for my company, but in in general, in IoT, like if we look at IoT in in general, right? You have consumers, you have all the devices that people have you know, around their wrist, like, you know, my smartwatch here that measures everything, my heart rate and, 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 and all that stuff to, you know, phone tracking and other stuff, right? So there's another world out there that you have, uh, you know, billions or even trillions of sensors that have been put in place over the last four decades to measure uh, the tubing pressure of an oil pump that sits somewhere in a deserted area, you know, in, you know, East Texas, right? And, and has been measuring that tubing pressure every minute, right? Typically that data does not even go anywhere because it's, you know, it's just stored locally uh, for historical reasons. So that if anything goes ever wrong, they can actually look into that thing and say, mm, you know, we know what happened and why it kind of blew up, right? So you have all these trillions of sensors for, all the energy power plants, utility businesses, oil wells, you know, all, all of the energy uh, type of um, uh, industrial systems, as well as manufacturing, same thing, right? So if all this data and in, in they are now able for the first time to use the power of, of AI version 2.0, which we can talk about what that means a little bit later, to actually do uh, preemptive maintenance and um, predict when the systems are gonna fail. Right? The old world, the old school kind of way is you do reactive maintenance. Like, oops, you know, something just happened. And if we are good at it, you have um, an AI or machine learning or just an analytic system that can detect anomalies so that you don't even you don't have to see, okay, well, there's something is burning there on the horizon, right? You actually see in, in the local um, SCADA system that something is wrong. Um, but now with the new type of technology and new type of AI, um, you can actually predict how long um, a industrial system is going to run before it fails. And you can predict uh, what the reason is for the failure. And you can also get how the, you know, the certainty index, how certain is it that this is going to happen in three months from now, right? So that changes the game, right? And, but that comes back to IoT and specifically in the industrial IoT, right? So each of these sensors have to have an Internet of Things address 
uh, each of these uh, uh, you know sensors has to be able to you know translate or migrate the data transform the data into the cloud because ai always requires a lot of computing power and storage to be able to train an ai model like right? the, the the training process is very compute intensive and requires basically historical data over the last 10 years for thousands and thousands of let's say oil wells or wind wind uh, turbines or whatever um, only if you have that power and you have only this power in the cloud you can actually train the model right now that means you have to get the data from you know the field into the cloud and you have to then take the insights that are generated by this ai back you know to um to to where it matters to the operators that operate actually the equipment right so um that all you know end to end is really what industrial iot kind of stands for it's kind of the 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 delivery the um uh, uh, acquisition and delivery of industrial uh, sensor data into the cloud being able to process, analyze it, and then deliver the data of the insights back to the people actually that can do something about it. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's absolutely fantastic and, and, and critical, really, to have this in play. Right. And I, I guess the burning question that I have, and, and, and maybe others listening and watching this now, is why is it that you know, consumer electronics, you know, we speak about our watches and our smart rings, et cetera. Why is it that that's so far further advanced quicker than it is an industrial landscape? Oh, yeah, that's a very good question. <laughs> so first of all, <laughs> that's a very good question. First of all, if you talk to anyone in the industrial world, they always refer to the speed of how fast the industrial world is, is moving. It's like a glacier, right? It's like a glacier. It moves extremely slow, right? The reason there's a manifold, there's a plethora of reasons why that is the case. Um, but basically, um, there, there's a, there, the main reason is there's a divide between what's called OT and IT. And this divide that separates even in this, this divide is happening in, in, in one or in every single company that actually is involved in this. OT is an operational network and operational technology, OT operational technology that is really run by the operators that are measured um, and, and held accountable for operating the industrial equipment, right? So they have their own IT people that actually connect the sensors and, you know, do the, uh, you know, uh, acquisition of the data and their own systems. However, this world is disconnected from the IT world completely for security reasons. Now, in the same company, you have IT systems like SAP, um, MES system in manufacturing, EAM systems in, in, in energy, right? they hold asset information about the same stuff like an oil well uh, but it's in a different network right so now you have two different parts of a company and they basically typically don't talk much to each other because they have very different objectives the ones on the on the ot side really have to keep the equipment running the ones on the it side they want to do business decisions and predictions for and 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 um, you know for production volumes and stuff like that and there's a 
there's a cartoon that a friend of mine who is in one of the oil and gas companies always shows when we are on uh, on, on stage presenting at and you know at conferences, which is you have two cavemen that pulling a cart behind them, and the cart has unfortunately wheels that are basically squares, you know, like they, they, they don't they are not round, right? And there's another caveman that is coming from in from the side that wanna hand them some round wheels and says, hey, you know, and they're like, we are too busy. They're like waving the go away and say, go away, we're too busy pulling this cart, right? And that's what causes literally why, the, I mean, this is one of the key things, why innovation and the adoption of new technologies is so slow, like a glacier, right? Because even if there's is someone who invents the wheel, like literally enhance them to those guys, they are so busy and focused on keep the keeping the lights on, you know, running the equipment, making sure that it's all working, that they are like, you know, no, we're, no, no, not, not right now. We are too busy doing that. So what I said, um, you know, in, in one of our previous uh, talks uh, that, that, that we had um, in Houston, I think about a month ago, is now with the availability and, and, and the power of AI 2.0, the glaciers are moving faster, right? So there's the glacier of manufacturing and the glacier of oil and gas, uh, and typically, oil and gas is kind of even the slower glacier compared to the industrial IoT in manufacturing. <laughs> but now, with with kind of this this kind of new, um, let's say, power of AI 2.0, um, the the glaciers have started to kind of speed up. They are still glaciers; they are still extremely slow. So it will take years for them to really adopt it. But there's a lot of movement. There are so many of these companies that have started serious projects, not just kind of, not just pet projects that do some kindergarten work, you know, to say, oh yeah, we are also doing this, but really focusing, um, you know, with the CEOs, you know, not only approval, but focus of CEO and shareholder on making some serious um, advancements, you know, uh, towards goals that lead to it. And I mean, some of these big oil and gas companies, even BP, right? British petrol, right? They have said uh, they are they are net zero, you know, carbon footprint, zero ca uh, carbon emissions um, as a as a corporate goal they want to achieve, right? So how 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 are they going to achieve that? Only with adoption of uh, industrial IoT technology and AI, right? Because ultimately, if you want to predict failures, emissions avoidance, and all that stuff, you need some serious you know, uh, power. It's not, you cannot achieve that by doing what you have been doing for the last 40 years. It's not going to happen. So, yeah, it, it, it's, it's a fantastic answer. Um, and, and sadly one I've heard before, you know, um, at the speed of innovation really is, is quite slow. I, 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 re I remember my, my own personal story. We, in the, in the recruiting business that I own, in IoT, we did some work with a packaging company in Switzerland, and they were very famous actually for being one of the largest manufacturers of, of packaging in the, in the world, uh, family-run business, a lot of big Swiss businesses are. And um, they created a whole new department from scratch and built it and took the people in and, and did it. And, um, um, and they were quite visionary actually to do that at that time, because 
I think they had a lot of pushback with the stakeholders and shareholders in the business as to why this was important, but it transformed their business, you know, in, in several ways. And I think that analogy there with the cartoon with the wheels, I think is so perfect. Uh, right. You know, you can get so blinded, can't you, by, um, by what you're doing without actually taking a step back to actually take stock. And so I think that's a really interesting point. One of the phrases you used in our discovery call that we did, and I love this phrase, and I'm going to bring it up, is you said, you can't boil the ocean. Uh, and, I, and I wondered if you could explain what that means in why industrial IoT projects potentially fail sometimes it, uh, by people boiling the ocean. Right. Could you explain so, that? Oh, absolutely. That, that, that is a typical, um, I, I would say it's a typical startup problem. Um, what I mean with this is, let's say you take a company and they're like, okay, you know, we want to do... Um, we want to figure out how we can use the sensor data in our company to predict, you know, failures in the future and blah, 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 all this stuff, right? Uh, we want to forecast production volume. We want to avoid um, um, any kind of costs that come from downtime. So what typically happens is there's two ways, two, two major problems that can happen. The first one is... Um, they start and say, okay, well, we want to build a solution, but the solution that we're going to build should be able to fulfill all the use cases we have in the company, right? So that's the boil the ocean approach. And what happens then is they bring in uh, some external consultants and they do discovery after discovery after discovery with all different organizations inside a company. And in, in, I call it death by discovery. They create a list that's so long that everybody, uh, their grandmother, their dog, uh, the, the flea on the dog can say, oh, I have another use case we can do. And so they end up with a list that is a mile long of use cases that they can now be doing. And now as a follow-up, they are like, okay, now we want to build a solution which is able to basically solve all these problems. Right? That is almost certainly... A, a complete recipe for failure because it's kind of like you want to build a house or a building. Let's say you want to build a building. The building, you know, should be a hospital, but also a hotel and maybe also a business building and an apartment building at the same time. Yeah, And, and maybe there should be also, you know, a, a landing place for multiple helicopters in it and you know, it should be underwater. Right? <laughs> it's, it's like, it, it's kind of like um, you want to build something that fulfills all the, the stuff, right? Now you could say, well, let's first build a platform that does all of it. And then we build something on top of it. Anyway, it becomes a very cumbersome um, uh, situation where when they start to actually build the whole thing, uh, it will take them at least a year, probably two years to do this. Now, during these two years, you will have all these people involved that you did the discovery uh, sessions with and then have use cases. And this means the entire company is involved uh, and there will be a lot of inner political struggles. A lot of other stuff is going to happen. In two years, this company is going to have different leaders, different this, different that. So by the end of the whole thing, you might, might have wasted a lot of money, involved a lot of people. And at some point, the shareholders or the CEO says, so show me what works. 
and nothing works because they are still working on building the entire big thing, right? So boiling the ocean is typically leads to a completely overladen um, project that almost certainly fails because it, it, it cannot be really materialized or, or implemented that way. The second, even worse way is <laughs> to say, we'll first actually build an industrial data lake for industrial IoT data, but we are not talking to anyone that has any use case whatsoever. We will do that after we build the lake, the data lake, right? That's even more a recipe for failure because you're building in something without having any user involved at all, right? Uh, and then, then you probably bring in some data and then you have some users look at it. And let, most of them is look at the stuff and it's like, that's like a data swarm. It's not even data lake. And, and we can't really use any of this data as you kind of bring it in because we have all this other data from these other systems that we have to, you know, kind of co-mingle it with or, you know, sync it up or have some sort of metadata augmentation. So, and you guys haven't thought about it. So not usable to us at all. So you have now suddenly a data lake that gets all the data in the world from all these systems and nobody is using it at all. So if it's kind of an abandoned data lake, uh, that's also, I've seen this m many times too. So th these are two approaches that almost certainly fail. Thank you for sharing that. I think, I think it's important to recognize how people have failed, what companies have done wrong and, and clearly we're going to get onto it, how you can change that, right? And how you can fix that. But I guess the other aspect of failure perhaps is if someone fails or if a company fails in their IoT digital transformation project, they're less likely to try again, which is actually probably a bad thing as well, right? Because they've done oh, it, they've wasted money. Typically they, typically, they have no chance to try again because in almost all the cases that I saw that, whoever was in charge either left the company or was asked to leave the company, right? <laughs> it's very simple because if you lead a, a large corporate project and, you know, you have probably a couple of chances to make it work. But if after two years, you know, this thing is still delivering no business value, then it will be a very, it, it will be, it's a limiting move to your career, right? <laughs> so, so what people really should think about if, if they actually start off a project is um, they, they should pick one use case um, and make that work really fast. You know, if you can show business value within, let's say, two months, even if it's just a little cost savings, you have credibility, you have shown, you are sure we can do this. We can implement, you know, a, a solution that actually has real benefits for our company. And then you can actually add on another use case and another use case, another use case. So starting without use cases is bad. You trying to solve all use cases is also bad. But instead, what really is important is to select a use case that has real money attached to it, not just some, you know, made up use case, but here's real users, real money in, in attached to it, involve them from the beginning You never start ever with having no users involved, right? And make sure that you can do this project 
in a reasonably short time period. If you can pull this, you know, off and, and you make it happen, you implement it, you, you're going to be the hero. They're going to be the hero. Or the users will be your, you know, best, you know, proponent. They, they, they will say, hey, yeah, we have, we have, it's working. Right? And everybody else in the company is like, I want this too, right? If, if these, these guys get it and it works, I want this too, right? So you want to get to that point where people point um, to, to a project that was successful and say, you know, in the next iteration, we want to be part of it. We want to be, mm. you know, the next use case you guys do. Thanks again for IoT Tech Expo Europe for sponsoring today's episode. IoT Tech Expo Europe brings together Europe's brightest minds to talk about cutting edge technologies in one place. Experience top level discussions, innovative IoT innovations and strategies. Mark your calendars for the 26th and 27th of September 2023 when IoT Tech Expo Europe returns to the vibrant city of Amsterdam. I'll be there, will you? Get your tickets at iottechexpo.com slash Europe. The link will be in the description. Yeah, I think that's that's fantastic advice. And, you know, just to, to recap then for our viewers and listeners. So focus on a clearly defined digital strategy, a specific area, start with something that you could do quickly to show real yeah. value as quickly as possible. Yes, and um, you, mentioned, you mentioned something really important. What the digital strategy, right? So the, the, underneath it all, there has to be, you know, you have to think about the use case. You have to have a strategy um, and that strategy has to be clear. The strategy should be able to include also other use cases in the future. It's not like, you know, you just focus on one thing and that's it, you, you know, in, very important is that the, co the corporation, the company understands that the strategic part is key. Like, I mean, it's kind of like the Einstein quote where, it, you know, he said, if I would have, I think, 10 minutes, I would use nine minutes to th think about the problem and one minute about the solution. It's kind of like you want to think about your strategy and about the use case and about all of this, you know, how you start, how long it's going to take and optimize everything before you even get started, right? That's key. Industrial strategy is absolute key. Yeah, I mean, a real, real actionable take, take home advice for people here listening, right? Um, you're starting with the why, <laughs> very famous phrase by Simon Sinek, but it's appropriate here as well. What, why are you doing this and what are you trying to solve and think about it a lot? Um, it's, it's fantastic, Matt. Thank you for sharing those insights. Um, I wanted to move on if I could and talk about a little bit about industrial IoT and AI. So I think we at the start of the podcast, we kind of spoke a little bit about um, the uh, kind of makeup of EOT and what you do as a business and the fact that you link IoT and AI. Now, clearly, there is a lot of hype at the moment, although it seems to have petered off a little bit, but it's still quite high, um, about generative AI, ChatGPT, BARD, various other initiatives that are coming out there at the moment. Right. Um, this technology has a lot of potential for the industrial landscape could you just talk about that a little bit further yes so let's um let's just set um set things apart and separate a couple of things that are really important to understand so the i talked already about ai version 1.0 and 2.0 and for me the difference between 1.0 and 2.0 from a use case and usability perspective, what you can get out of it 
is the following. Before technology like chat, GTP, uh, um, AI is basically able to get trained with historical data and be able to do anomaly detection. So you basically, let's say you have some system, you know, like a network or, you know, phones or whatever it is, and you can train an AI to listen to it and say something is wrong, right? You can use that in cybersecurity. You can use it for bandwidth control. You can use it for a lot of stuff, right? It's anomaly detection, right? So it can say something is wrong because it doesn't look right. With the AI version 2.0, um, you can train the AI again with historical data, but now you can predict the future, right? So the generative part is you create answers to questions that no, have not been answered before, right? So let me explain what that means first in JET, GPT, and then what it actually means for industrial IT because it's very different. So when you use JET, GPT, you can, you know, ask a question, and you get a text-based answer, right? And you can you, you can say, you know, any type of question, you get an answer, you know, whether it's health or legal, or you can even generate code with it. These answers are generated. They don't exist. It's not like ChatGPT goes out and looks it up on the internet and, and, and then, you know, shows it to you like a Google search. No, it actually creates that content. And it puts things together like a human brain would, right? It would, it really literally creates an answer for your question. Even if nobody has ever asked that question before, it will generate actually an answer. And internally, it will also generate a certainty index that will internally show how certain chat GPT is that the answer is correct. So it could give you an answer and say, you know, internally, I think it's like 30% correct. Um, uh, but chat GPT doesn't show you that. But it, it does create this new content. Now, second part is that is not really usable for IoT per se, because in you know industrial sensors as well as non-industrial sensors don't create text; they create numbers, right? Even audios, you know, an audio stream is on numbers, right? So you cannot use a large language model um, to actually, you know, and apply it for, let's say, a string of floating point data that comes from a sensor that measures temperature and pressure and all that stuff. However, there are generative pre-trained transformer models that are not la large language models. Um, they exist today uh, that basically can do the same thing like chat GPT does for text. They can do that for floating point data. And what that means is you basically can train um, a model uh, on time series data, uh, and then you can ask this model questions. But the, the, the questions are more like, you know, show me the, you know, when, when is this device going to f run into problems, right? Um, and it will tell you an answer. It will say, well, is this device is gonna fail in two months? Right, this industrial oil, this oil pump will, you know, stop working in three weeks, and you can say why. Right. So what it internally does is, and this is exactly how ChatGPT works on a text basis. Internally, it creates basically 
it simulates the future of this device. So it basically, you know, literally generates the future output of sensor data, and it it then simulates by simulating the future, it will know, uh, you know, when there, it will run into a problem, right? And it can tell you then also what the problem is going to be. And that's a big game changer because if you know, for instance, that uh, you, let's say you have you know ten thousand industrial assets, and you know these are the the the, the one hundred uh, assets that are going to run into problems in three weeks from now. You already know what type of problems they're going to be. You can you know optimize everything. You can even start ordering parts today, right? Because you know you know even if it's not a hundred of them that are going to fail because of that thing. Maybe it's only 90 and it's not, you know, 100% certain that all of them fail. Uh, you can optimize, you know, what people do that actually maintain those assets, what they should focus on. You know, they, they, you can do much more than just preemptive maintenance. It's, it's, it's a complete game changer of what this AI can do for you, right? So it, it, and, and so, you know, taking it back to chat GPT, so with with industrial IoT or IoT in general, that type of technology that actually uses the same way of how ChatGPT is 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 using language and text based um, content, uh, instead using floating point data and sensor data, uh, will allow you to kind of open up all this this new stuff um, and and the power of that type of AI, which I call AI 2.0. Uh, in our future. And we are just at the beginning. I mean, this thing is so new uh, that I think in the next five to 10 years, again, Glacier, you know, for industrial IoT, it's not like this is not going to happen in 2023, even though it could, you know, even the technology will be there. The adoption rate will be much slower uh, in the industrial world, but it's it's a game changer. And I think that one you know, specifically given the fact that the industrial companies have these these goals to actually go to, you know, cut down on emissions and go be more sustainable and so on, that, that puts additional pressure on those companies internally and externally to actually embrace this new um, uh, technology. I think that really is the future, isn't it, Matt? You know, as you say, this AI 2.0 um, based upon real-time information, floating point data, as you say. Uh, it's a game changer, actually, isn't it? To be able to do that. Um, and uh, the pace of innovation at the moment with AI is is quite rapid. Um, no. So uh, I, I, think, I, I, think it's a, I think it's a remarkable time. And an interesting time for, you know, people in IoT to see this coalition of IoT and AI coming together, actually. And it'll be interesting to see where we are in you know five ten years time. But oh, of it's course, in, inseparable. I'm I'm I'm. It, it this is, yeah. It, this is going to be just one thing. I mean, one of the other things is <laughs> very important when when um, when corporations and specifically in the in the industrial world, you know, say, oh, we should do something with AI, right? AI will be 20% of the problem. The IoT part will be 80% of the problem, right? So it's very, very important. You know, in my previous life, I was, um, you know, advising a lot of industrial startups that were really focused on big data analytics and um, AI. And, 
you know, it's easy to get into the door with big companies like, oh, we have this cool AI stuff. But if there's no way to actually get data into the AI, right, out of these operational environments, it will never ever go into production, right? So I always say the hell of, of, of POCs, you know, the, you know, everything that, that does, that fails, the hell, the POC hell is plastered with successful POCs that never made it. They all went to hell because they only focused on the AI and analytics part and they never actually thought about, oh, we need actually industrial IoT to bring the data in. That's a completely overlooked problem. So that's, that's the beauty of looking back at proof of concepts, right? And being able to learn from those that went to hell yeah. so that yours, that, that yours doesn't, uh, hopefully yeah. that's the aim, right? Matt, it, uh, it's been excellent having you on the podcast. Uh, I think truly your, your insights are fantastic. I wanted to talk a little bit uh, before we wrap up about your book as well. So you've got a book out, The Trailblazer's Guide to Industrial IoT. Uh, where can people find it? I assume it's on Amazon. People can find it online. Yeah, so the, the book Trailblazer's Guide to Industrial IoT is going to be available on Amazon. Um, uh, the published date is August 22nd, okay? And um, this book is very different, uh, I think, from any industrial uh, IoT book because it's an answer to the question, um, you know, why do these industrial IoT projects fail? And uh, what I try to do is um, to actually explain it in a way that's a little bit entertaining. What I mean with that is, you know, if you are looking for a book that explains to you what is MQTT uh, and, and how does it help to get data from PLCs to, let's say, SCADA systems or OPC servers or from OPC UA servers to data historians or whatever, that is not the book, you know, that you're looking for or, or you know, any of these things. This book is actually a novel. It has a plot. It um, has a storyline that starts with a um, a, a gentleman that, that sits in an office building and uh, gets a message on his whiteboard, you know, it's literally on his whiteboard that says, hey, what about this industrial IT and AI? Is that something that we can use to improve our company, save the planet, save the world, you know? And so in this book, he goes in onto a journey to find out how they can use it inside um, his own company. and. Of course, there's a, another department that has the same idea. And so there's uh, two competing uh, departments, right? And, and so if you have, a, you have a protagonist, you have an antagonist, uh, you have, a, you, know, you know, basically people that, you know, have inner political fights, uh, you, you know, you have projects that almost fail because of several reasons, technology, process, people, right? So it tries to reflect you know, all the situations that I've seen in real life uh, in a way that is uh, very, um, uh, you know, close to that real life. But at the same time, um, uh, it, it also educates. So, it, you know, we dive into what is AI, how does, what is AI version 1.0, what's AI version 2.0. Um, so it educates as well. So the, the goal was to be entertaining and educational at the same time. Oh, that's that's excellent. Yeah, that's excellent. Well, can't wait to um, can't wait to see that being released. 
Um, we'll have to we'll have to hook up a couple of free copies to some of the IoT podcasts. Absolutely, as well, absolutely. Perhaps. Yeah. So we'll, we'll we'll get the link in the comments for that. Um, Matt, so as we come to wrap up the podcast, we always ask the same questions to some of our guests, and I'll ask the same one to you. Um, and I think I might know the answer, but I'll let you talk about it. Um, what would be your prediction for IoT in 2023? Um, if something could come into fruition and be widespread in IoT this year in particular, what would that be and why? Well, I, I do believe that these um, that what I just talked about, the industrial IT 2.0, that these models are going to uh, become much more, let's say, they become much more public. You know, people talk about chat GPT and you know, do all that stuff, but that, that in itself is not that applicable, but it will become very clear how much value um, similar models for time series data and IoT will, will be able to do. That will become very clear. Now, the adoption, um, I think it will be first adopted directly by companies that are, you know, consumer-facing, not by industrials. Um, you know, let's say, for instance, you take, you know, there, there, there's tons of companies now that do personal medicine where you, you, know, can, you can sign up, you get your blood, you know, um, work done every, like, two months or whatever. You know, let's say you do sign up for these things and you use AI and you take in the numbers, right? This is all numbers. Um, and you say, well, this person's, you know, you know, heart is going to fail or this is going to fail in the next three months or next two years or whatever. So you can predict things. Um, there are a couple of companies that are trying to do this already um, by um, identifying markers in the DNA um, in your blood. But I think all the personalized stuff will be the first adopters. Uh, and then the industrial world will come in later. But that, I think that these number-based uh, generative pre-trained uh, transformer models will become, you know, it will become very clear what the power is for, for us. I can't wait to see that come out um, and to do a podcast about it in the future. Uh, thank, thank you, Matt. And, uh, and lastly, a uh, couple of quick fire questions for you. Um, what is a quote? that you live by in life? You've, you've named some great quotes and some great sayings today on the podcast, but what's some words that you live by? You know, I mean, I'm what I said earlier for me, it's always, um, always, you know, think, think about the problem, you know, Einstein quote, think about the problem for, for nine minutes and then, uh, uh, you know, about the solution uh, for one minute. For, for me, this is key. It's so important to not just actually get started, but really, you know, understand deeply uh, what it all entails and have the right people involved to do this. So uh, I would say that's one that comes immediately to mind. I like that one a lot personally as well, and uh, we'll stick that we'll stick that in the comments so people can see it. But uh, I think a lot of people would uh, would do well to remember that. Uh, and a final question would be, if you could have any IoT-powered gadget at home, uh, what would it be and why? Any IoT-powered gadget would be um, um, basically a, uh, a, a IoT pet friend. Right? So if you have pets at home, okay, and uh, and you want to let's say go on vacation or you go at work to, to work or whatever, if there's a if there's a way for 
you know, having a, a pet companion that you can also remotely control and that the pet can see you. Um, I know there are a couple of these projects um, in in the works, like Amazon um, has one uh, that that just became available, but it's I think three thousand dollars, where you actually you know your pet can see you on the screen and so. But there's a couple of these projects in the works. But if if you could be basically present for your pets and interact with your cat, pets while you are away, that would be extremely valuable, uh, I think, and, and a lot of people will love it. Uh, so that would be immediately coming. And yeah. That's a nice one. I, I feel like this is business number eight coming on, perhaps, Matt, right? Uh, at some point, you know, what, what, a, what a fantastic suggestion. Yeah, I can, I can definitely see the value in that, you know. Um, absolutely. Matt, it's been lovely having you on the IoT podcast. Uh, you've been an excellent guest and some fantastic insights. Thank you for coming on to the show. Thank you, Tom. It was a, it was a pleasure. Thank you once again to IoT Tech Expo Europe for sponsoring today's episode. Once again, please get your tickets. The link will be in the description. Thanks for tuning in to the IoT podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on whatever platform you're on. See you next week for more IoT talks and tales.